Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly and co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. America's Heroes Group roundtable with our partner, uh, Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute, and we're pleased to have uh, them with us. And um, the uh, pa- panelist, uh, our call-in partner is Suzanne Gordon, uh, VHPA senior policy analyst, and her work expands over three decades, reporting on healthcare program workers policy and have authored over-edited 21 books. Suzanne has written two books, The Battle for Her Veterans' Health Care and Wounds of War. And uh, Suzanne? And, and yeah, she's, I think she's a... She, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, there you are. How you doing? And How Danny's doing? here too, I hope, right? Oh, Danny, yeah. Well, I was going to go to Danny next. Uh, Danny Surgeon? Surgeon. Tristan. Okay, we, we were trying to work that out earlier. <laughs> yeah, West Point graduate, U.S. Army major, Iraq and Afghanistan veteran, and contributed editor. Uh, we have someone here, of course, who is also a uh, Iraq a veteran, one of our uh, folks here. On, and uh, the discussion is a half million veterans are kept, kept from health care and benefits due to unfair charges. Discharges, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. unfair discharges, yeah. Charges and discharges. Yeah, charges and discharges. Mm-hmm. That's that's a terrible, terrible thing. Okay. Uh, who, so who wants to... Uh, okay, Su- yeah. Suzanne, you know, we're going to uh, talk to Danny now, so uh, maybe you can lead us to on the discussion. Explain to us what this whole issue is about, you know, unfair discharges and why this is occurring. So do you want me to begin, or Danny? Uh, well, probably, may, probably best for Suzanne, yeah. Yes. So Danny, and, and Danny can really give a, um, a view from the inside. Um, so basically, right now there's 600,000, 750 or 600,000 people since 1980 who've received um, what are called other than honorable discharges. So the folks in the military are familiar with... Um, the discharge process, but um, there's a whole, there's, I think, six different discharge categories, uh, administrative discharges, which include honorable, general under honorable conditions, uncharacterized and other than honorable. Mm-hmm. And then there's two punitive categories, bad conduct and um, dishonorable, and, and that you have to have a court-martial to, to get those. And essentially, um, Increasingly, the military, the different branches of the service are using these other than honorable and general discharges in an unfair way, and and they penalize um, veterans because uh, other than honorable discharges deprive the veteran of of the status in the VA of, of veteran. And they they can't get any benefits whatsoever, including the GI Bill or access to health care. 
and this is a particular tragedy since, as Danny will explain, um, a lot of these other than honorable discharges are given to, to service members who have a minor, a couple minor infra- disciplinary infractions, which can include anything from being late to formation a couple times to so-called insubordination to getting drunk to being... Uh, to a DUI, to getting into a fight, and often this has been well documented. Um, the uh, the service member who gets one of these discharges might have a traumatic brain injury or some kind of emotional problem, PTSD, and they're just acting out or self medicating. And then, and these are people who really, really need help from the VA, and they can't get it. The people with general other under honorable conditions discharges, and there's six hundred thousand of them. Um, they can get access to VA healthcare. That's the good news. The bad news is if the VA helps put them to back together again and they're sort of ready to roll and, and they could go to college or community college or whatever, they can't get access to the GI Bill. And so we have sort of close to 1.2 million folks out there who have these bad paper discharges, uh, which we feel are at Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute are are often retaliatory, by the way. Many people who get uh, other than honorable discharges are women who report sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, wow. It's, so it sounds like this is very, very subjective, and many of the, the uh, issues that they're talking about are really a minor infractions that you would consider. Uh, you could imagine in a regular workplace if someone tried to do that to mm-hmm. an employee, um, it would be really just, you know, people would look at them like they're, you know, sort of crazy yeah. trying to say that an employee, you know, was late for work three times so they finally discharged <laughs> and, you know, dishonorably from work. Correct. And uh, Well, the thing, I, I'm so glad you raised that issue because mm-hmm. in in the workman's comp, you know, and essentially the VA, the Veterans Health Administration, is kind of a workman's comp system. Mm-hmm. If a, If an employee gets a you know, gets their arm cut off because of an unsafe machine or gets black lung disease because of an unsafe mine, they don't get, um, they don't get denied access to workman's comp because they got into a fight with a foreman or got drunk on the weekend. And, um, you know, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, not only are they discharged, kicked out of the service, but they're kept from getting help from the problems that the service created. And, And I think Danny really... You know, Danny was there. I mean, Danny was a, a, a company commander, and, and mm-hmm. he can tell us, you know, just why so many of these discharges are given. Okay. Yeah, go right ahead. Well, I was right. going to so, say, we, we, we have right here with us, my, my co-host uh, was also in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. oh, well, oh Iraq. Yeah, I did two tours Iraq, in Iraq. Iraq, yeah. Yeah, but I was, a, uh, I was running the... Uh, uh, medical unit because I um, was a state, you know, I was a, a surgeon general <laughs> here in uh, Illinois, but uh, but I was actually a commander in uh, Mosul, Iraq, and um, Iraq, you yeah. know, and uh, served in a, f- a few different places over there. But but you know, I really uh, am really interested in hearing what um, you know Danny's uh, um, you know view of that is because um, there so many so many of us have come back with different experiences over there, looking at different angles of how. Things were carried out and how people were treated as uh, veterans. So maybe you can tell us more, Danny, and mm-hmm. you know what does this mean for our uh, veterans right. who are out there? No, really, I'm glad to. This is such an important issue. Yeah. Uh, if mm-hmm. we started by assuming 
that every soldier who had one of these bad paper discharges deserved it, right? If we assume that every one of them had done something terrible, the system in a way would still make no sense. You know, and what Suzanne's been getting at is it leaves these folks with no education, employment, or healthcare opportunities. Yes. It's kind of like a moralizing rather than a utilitarian approach. Mm-hmm. So they creates the cyclical failure and the spiral. Uh, but what I'm here to say is that, you know, from the commander's hat, so to speak, and, and it sounds like you have some of the same experience, mm-hmm. uh, and I, you know, this is at the height of the Afghan and Iraq wars uh, that I'm speaking of, so really that, especially that 2006 to 2013 era, you know, we had tons mm-hmm. of soldiers deployed and getting ready to deploy. I can kind of provide a little bit of like an under-the-hood look. Yes. And the reality is that what we had was this, frazzled, overwrought system, you know, kind of by dint of our endless war cycle, uh, taxing soldiers through these employment, these deployments. And what it did to commanders, in my experience at least, uh, was it incentivized sort of an empathy-absent urgency to get rid of what we used to call our problem children, soldiers. And as Suzanne mentioned, that could run the gamut from minor discipline to, you know, mid-range to high-level stuff. But the reason for that is because we wanted to accelerate the discharges because every two weeks, usually, especially in the run-up to deployments, we had to provide a percentage status report of how many of our soldiers were deployable. And if you had pending discipline or uh, a drug positive or, you know, any number of things, health issues that were often emotional health that were tied to disciplinary issues, uh, then your numbers were low, and that meant you couldn't take those soldiers to combat. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, from a strategic point of view or a tactical one, you couldn't get replacement troops while you had those kind of non-deployables on the books. And so as a commander yes. who was, A, judged by those numbers, yes. and, you know, your unit was good or bad, yes. and you were a positive or a negative commander based on your percentages, which was sort of a ludicrous bureaucratic mechanism, uh, but also, you needed to get those soldiers into your unit, those new replacements, in order to train them. So it really did incentivize getting rid of these, you know, problem children. And a lot of commanders mm-hmm. say how much they hated babysitting was the phrase. But, of course, that yeah. takes the sort of agency and empathy out of it. But uh, overall, the system, especially at the height of our deployment wars, you know, was uh, was built to create a, a, a situation where we were pushing these people out without the care they needed, often without looking at the individual cases, but the care and time that it deserved. And that's sort of a tragedy in its outcomes. Let, let me just ask you this, uh, Danny. I, we appreciate the fact that, of course, my, my co-host, as you well know already, where he was. But uh, you are a West Point graduate. That's a little different than just being out there. You know, I, I'm, I'm just surprised that that sort of thing can can happen in that uh, kind of circumstance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, s- certainly there, you know, there aren't a ton of sort of professional officers. Um, you know, I mean, a West Point officer comes in like a second lieutenant, just like everybody else, but uh, mm-hmm. there is like still a bit of a statistical disproportionality at like the general officer ranks and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, it is a little rarer that the career officer, particularly the West Point variety, decides to descend or create right. the system. But yeah. I think that it's just my personal sort of intellectual and uh, and experiential kind of journey was such that it felt that it would be obscene 
and and not a service to the soldiers that I was trained mm-hmm. and taught mm-hmm. to prioritize, right? Your soldiers, yeah. taking care of soldiers. Uh, if I didn't speak out now with those 600, 500,000 soldiers suffering, then what kind of commander would I be? Regardless of where Excellent I went to school, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's take a caller for our guest. Uh, Jay, hi, you're on WVON. Hello, America's Heroes Group. Fine. How you doing, sir? Good. Yes, I would like to submit to Congressman Davis, and he want to work with uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth on this, is that one of the major reasons why you have so many problems with Vietnam, so-called vets having problems getting medical benefits, is because Congress has not done its constitutional duty to actually have on a bill where a Vietnam conflict is declared as a war, for example, with a specific beginning and an end, not a police action and not a 60-day pol- uh, presidential uh, uh, continuation. I would like the congressman to submit a bill in conjunction with the senator, Tammy Duckworth, who particularly should be understanding this, where from now on mm-hmm. that Congress shall officially declare them as wars. Vietnam, as an example, Iraqi conflicts, mm-hmm. as long as they keep doing that, you're going to have these, te- these radio programs. From now on, get a bill passed where there's an official beginning, at least the Vietnam War, at least conflict, at least do that one. An official beginning, an official end where veterans have all the rights under that. I, one of the examples, I talked to a gentleman who was in the Iraqi conflict, and he claimed, he claims that because he was on the second tour, funny name for it, and didn't finish, and got IUD and lost both of his legs, he only gets like 25%. Maybe he has to know somebody, but that's only because we have not had an official declaration of what is considered a war and not. So, Congressman Davis, you got to get on the stick on that. From now on, get that bill passed, because that's your constitutional duty. Yeah, good point. All right, Jay, thank, thank you so much for your call. Mm-hmm. Certainly appreciate it. And uh, I, I think there are many, many people who <coughs> certainly feel as our caller does. Yeah. You know. yes. And, and that, that, you know, the point that he's making, and it gets back to this, Danny, you know, one of the things that you were mentioning, and it, fa- it sounds like there's almost a failure of leadership in those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it sounds like there are things, uh, and Suzanne as well, that, that there sounds like there are things where uh, decisions are being made where people are not managing their yeah. subordinates uh, the way they should be or recognizing things like rape or, um, you know, looking at this as being a, a minor infraction. And under the, the stress of war, people do have those reactions, like you were mentioning, PTSD. They may have anger and other things, mm-hmm. you know, that are there. So this, uh, this speaks to maybe uh, a need for leadership to be better trained in recognizing these things and dealing with them, right? Well, I mean, I think Danny can probably speak to that, but you know, I, I mean, I think the reality is that we need to separate the process of medi- medically discharging people, mm-hmm. you know, having people who are deployable. If you want to have people who are deployable and, and you're judged by how many people are deployable and you need to get rid of people quickly because the medical discharge process is too lengthy and cumbersome, then that's fine. But separate the process of of separation from the military with the benefits and i think you know your caller just talked about failure of leadership we have a failure of congressional leadership Mm -hmm. you know because the congress needs to update the servicemen's readjustment act of 1944 Mm -hmm. and essentially allow all service members okay maybe you can debate whether dishonorably discharged people should be allowed but that's a trifling amount. It's like 130 to 150 a year. But all these other service members who've served, you know, their country and volunteered, 
uh, they should be allowed access to the VA and to the GI Bill and to other benefits. And the way you deal with that is you allow, you know, you pass a bill in Congress which changes how the VA defines a veteran and really clarifies the the lack of clarity in the uh, Service Men's Readjustment Act of 1944, which, and there's also, people should know, um, a number of groups, including the Harvard Veterans Legal Clinic and Swords to Plowshare, have put in front of uh, the VA a petition to change the rules of how the VA does a uh, deals with these uh, veterans for these bad papers and sadly but not surprisingly the trump administration has really not acted on that petition and has essentially rejected it and if people are going to call congress you know duckworth and davis and whoever they Mm -hmm. should be calling them about that but we really need um a change in in you know decoupling the discharge process from the punitive or retaliatory or harsh denial of services. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.